The Lord be with you. And also with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Again, Jesus left the district of Tyre and went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee into the district of the Decapolis. And people brought to him a deaf man who had a speech impediment and begged him to lay his hand on him. He took him off by himself away from the crowd. He put his finger into the man's ears and spitting touched his tongue. Then he looked up to heaven and groaned and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately the man's ears were opened. His speech impediment was removed and he spoke plainly. He ordered them not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them not to, the more they proclaimed it. They were exceedingly astonished, and they said, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf hear, and the mute speak. The Gospel of the Lord. Here is a sweet anecdote for you this morning, and it's true. There was a little girl who entered our preschool class three weeks ago when we started. And um, this past week, she's been complaining to her parents about the program. Already. I spoke to the little girl's teacher last night and um, said that uh, apparently we've got to do something about this. What was the complaint? There should be school, Sunday school on Labor Day. I want to be in the little house with my friends. Shouldn't be a holiday today. That's sweet. At least it cheers the pastor's heart. And I'll bet these young men on the bench have missed their sections too in Mrs. Hewer's class, confirmation class. You can tell. <laughs> I said, look, we started three weeks earlier than any other church in the city possibly the diocese. Most are not opening until the 13th of September. But maybe next year we'll take the occasion to welcome Father Benjamin from Nigeria, who is here for a short time. And I know that members of the Igbo community and his Nigerian countrymen in general will want to greet him after church. And he'll do part of the Eucharistic prayer in Evo. This week I had an inglorious athletic injury. I called for consolation to someone who was a medic. I looked for compassion and I found none. The, the person, a distinguished doctor, not Dr. Snyder, 
said, you did what at your age? <laughs> but I'm sorry, that's the reason I'm not able to genuflect, unassisted, coming in, going out for a little while, and I hope, I hope I'll be delivered soon. And that brings us to the gospel of Jesus and healing. Every expositor of the New Testament will say that the reason Jesus practiced healing was compassion. He suffered with the sick and the afflicted, and he had compassion for the fathers and the mothers who would come talking about their children who were dying or dead. He never answered them by saying, perhaps God wills you to suffer. He did not cure the sick to draw attention to himself. As he said today and at different times in Scripture, don't broadcast this. Don't tell anyone. Give thanks to God. Don't spread the word. He did not want to be known as the wonder worker whose power would make a splash. He had another mission. He didn't work miracles to, as they say, prove his divinity or to enforce his teaching. The ruling motive was compassion. The ministry of healing was an integral part of the work Christ came in the world to do. But strange to say, he used suffering, his own suffering, as the instrument to bring us salvation. He could have used something at least a little more noble involving human effort. He could have run uh, a marathon in an incredible swift time and yes perhaps huffed and puffed at the end but made it across the line to an applause of many our Savior has completed the race put the crown of olive leaves on his head and an applause to the Lord our God you know it didn't work that way my old trusted biblical commentator, the Scotsman, James Stuart Stewart, had another reason that he gives for Jesus' miracles, the curing of the afflicted. Something a little bit deeper than compassion. Jesus often used the work of healing, both his own and his followers' work, to illustrate the breakup of the kingdom of Satan. Remember that in Jesus' day, diseases were regularly attributed to demonic agency, not only cases of possession, which were most obviously attributed 
to evil spirits, but all kinds of sickness. With Jesus, his followers, and the church, the kingdom of evil, darkness, and Satan would be shaken to its foundation with each miracle and wonder. Because it was with sin, the work of the devil, that sickness and death entered the world. And with each victory over an affliction, the kingdom of light, goodness, heaven, God, triumphs. I'm going to fast forward to what we are observing today. The first anniversary of the blessing of our expanded and renovated church. Remember, it took place on the Saturday before Labor Day last year, our 40th, in our 40th year. And um, in the course of the ceremony, gifts were brought to the altar. Um, some um, the architectural drawings, an armful, and some tools that were used in the construction of the church by workers, and uh, a gift for the bishop, a decoration. The Vietnamese community brought that beautiful tableau of the Vietnamese martyrs up the aisle, and the bishop received them all. You know that no matter what the theme of the Mass is, the Gospel, following the, um, the creed and the intercessory prayers, there is the collection. And we recruit as best we can some who are disposed to bring up the baskets, the wine and the water, the wine and the bread that are used to confect the Eucharist, but also the gifts of our labor, our offerings, and some their tithes. I want to say something about the significance of the offertory procession, because it's sometimes looked upon as a quick, hasty um, interlude between the Word and the celebration of the Eucharist, shoveling what is necessary to the altar for the celebration of the Eucharist, and also what is necessary to keep the air conditioner running. There's a profound significance to the offertory procession that has been taught to us very recently by Pope Benedict XVI in an apostolic exhortation called Sacramentum Caritatis. And it's appropriate that we, we listen to it on <coughs> This humble and simple gesture is actually very significant. In the bread and wine that we bring to the altar, all creation is taken up by Christ, the Redeemer, 
to be transformed and presented to the Father. In this way, we also bring to the altar all the pain and suffering of the world in the certainty that everything has value in God's eyes. Suffering? You've got to be kidding. We want to get rid of it whenever it comes our way. Disappointments? Grief? Ever since Christ used suffering for His redemptive act, our suffering has meaning. And when we use it with the suffering of Christ in the Mass, it has merit and we have put it to good use. We have done something with it that is very positive. So we bring, we brought a year ago, the labors, some griefs, some disappointments, some anguish to the altar after three or four years of trying to get this edifice up. We took those labors to the altar as the sense of using our work, which it has not only significance, especially the inglorious parts of our work, parts that nobody knows about, which we endure sometimes daily. People at the higher levels who may not appreciate our work, we bring it to the altar. It, it has meaning. It has value. We don't have any labor. We would like to be working. We would like a job for which we are qualified. We don't at present have it. And that is a sorrow for us. We bring that to the altar. We lay it on the altar and Christ incorporates it into His raising up of His body. And it has meaning. Human labor is given authentic meaning since through the celebration of the Eucharist it is united to the redemptive sacrifice of Christ. Happy Labor Day.